0: yo 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 what's up everybody thank you for tuning in to yet again another fantastic indie creator interview it is your capes crusader cody and we are keeping it geekly with our returning guest daniel we're here to break down the american dreams volume one uh and d- kind of maybe tie in uh night a little bit too because these two universes exist uh together uh but first and foremost how are you welcome and uh i'm i'm, I'm really excited to have you back man it's awesome
1: i'm good nice to be back
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking about it earlier, and it was interview fifteen. It's it's mind blowing to think that it's been eighty plus interviews since uh since we last yeah. chatted. What's what's been up? You know, what have you been up to? Uh, your campaign has successfully funded for uh, Night Wrath as well. So uh, congratulations for that. That was awesome.
1: right now, we're just trying to get everything for Night Wrath to for everyone who's back who did the surveys and everything. We're trying to get all those packages that we had. Everything's sent to be fulfillment in person. And then some real life issues happened with her, so we had to wait. So, but the, the first wave of Nightraf rewards have already gone out.
0: That's so awesome! And it's very very piece. exciting. I cannot wait because like I had to get the physical. It looks so good, and I cannot wait to see that cover just chilling on my bookshelf.
1: <laughs> it's like I, I got myself um, copies, you know, for conventions, and like I get open. It's like, okay, I have to open one of these packages of Nightraf open right right now, <laughs> so I can you know look at it, see how the colors are. Great paper material, by the way. I just I was really smart with to the eighty-pound glossy paper. And every, every time I'm like, "Oh, this is great! This is great!" And of course, I feel the paper. I go, "Ah, my paper is much better than Marvel's." <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh, my favorite part too is when you open it up, you get that fresh new comic sm- uh, smell. It's like the best smell in the world. Yeah. So we're here to break down. American Dreams, which is a, a story about a Jewish immigrant in the 1900s in New York City who gets caught in a really insane mad scientist experiment done by none other than Thomas Edison. We see a lot of familiar faces in this as well. You know, Harry Houdini. Uh, we get uh, a trace. To, I don't, uh, we Do we see Tesla in the first issue or we just get a name drop? We get a name drop in the first issue. Yeah, that, that's what, that's what I thought. So we get a name drop with Tesla, but there are some really prolific people, uh, JP Morgan. Uh, so a lot of a lot of really interesting uh, people from early on, uh, and then we see our main protagonist, Jake Gold, get really insane superhero powers uh, during a scuffle. It's like during in the mix of this experiment and a scuffle. Uh, it's yeah. just it is a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal story. I had the opportunity to read it. Thank you so much for providing me those PDFs. So, well, I, let, let's start breaking down what uh, American Dreams is, you know, uh, the, just the story, the concept, and uh, maybe a little bit more about Jake Gold.
1: Okay, so, it's, as he says 1900s, New York is the Gilded Age. Jake Gold is an immigrant, Jewish immigrant, even though know, he's lived in the United States most of his life. Um, he he's living in the Lower East Side, in a tenement with his family. He works at a sweatshop by day, he's in a gang by night. And... Um, he wants more out of life than just being in the sweatshop and being in the gang. And then he's zapped by that innocent experiment. It's funny because he's in Washington Square Park in the brawl, but to give you how long-ranging this story is going to be, the experiment was done in Central Park. So we're going to have plenty of people affected throughout this series. Okay. And uh, he has his side, you know, what to do with him. He has a vision of the spirit of America who's trying to direct him the best way to do things. And then. He gets to call into a heroism during a immense tragedy, which I was inspired, which I wrote, which I wrote inspired by an actual real life tragedy later in real life history. Um, and then he gets wrapped up in Harry Houdini's vaudeville act, and then he gets the real call to action when it's to save two reporters, including the famous Nellie Bly, from two uh, henchmen of the infamous Aleister Crowley, who's our big fan <laughs> of our entire series. So. There's a lot of
0: real world uh, influences in this. Uh, Can you uh, give us a little bit more of what your creative process was like, including these characters? Like, you know, what type of research did you have to do? Like, how did you make sure you were nailing their parts?
1: Well, the first part is like really interesting because one of the influences for the... This is the book and musical Ragtime, which includes some of the same historical characters. Really what I was doing, is I was listening to the orchestral suite they have at the end of the CD of Ragtime, the musical. Mm-hmm. And I'm like I'm in a doze. And I'm like, ah, oh, what if superheroes were around in that same pre-World War One era? Instead, of like, in, have superheroes being started there until you know World War Two era, mm-hmm. like most comics going into history do. And that's when the light bulb bing went off. <laughs> so, like, so I was like, okay, if I'm gonna use these you know, historical characters, a certain historical characters, obviously Edison because mad science. Houdini, I just want because Houdini is a great, fantastic character in general. Historically, this is also, also fun to write. Um, JP Morgan, because Edison needs a background. Historically, he and Edison were uh, business partners in various okay. ventures. Emma Goldman, because you always need someone to be the voice of a little more radical reason. And then I chose Nellie Bly because she gives you the journalistic angle and also her assistant gives us the love interest. And then finally I chose and Nikola Tesla's, you know, winning the wings because Edison. Mm-hmm. And finally Alistair Crowley because I, I was like, okay, I need a big bad. I don't know if it has to be 100% to be Edison and Morgan but like it needs to be someone else. I was going through, I think, some sort of wiki rabbit hole mm-hmm. and I stumbled on Alistair Crowley again. And I noticed he's 25 in 1900 and our protagonist is 1920. So it's like, that's perfect.
0: Yeah, that that uh, yeah, that like just lined up so perfectly, and I, I love uh, getting into those rabbit holes, like falling down into the crazy depths of like Wikipedia and like in the depths of yeah. YouTube and stuff. Like, anytime uh, I binge out on that stuff, you always find like the most insane facts.
1: And Wikipedia is good because no, cause everyone's like, oh, Wikipedia, no one uses Wikipedia. But like, Wikipedia, not, the, it's not more than now, more than when I was in school, does have all the citations, mm-hmm. which helps. So if I need to go back and actually set, and like double check something, I can go for the citations. And but it's like, if you look at Crowley, but if, even before he was t- like twenty twenty five, he was already being a real jackass because he did his whole trek up K two. Most of his party got killed in a landslide, and he literally goes back the next day walking past them with the money.
0: <laughs> real vile, <Crowley's- laughs> yeah.
1: Crowley was vile. There's a reason why he called himself the wickedest man in Europe. And it's just, and it, he's it, just, he's also a real blast to write because you can go visit no holds barred, say the most horrible, horrible things coming out of his mouth. Yeah. That's hysterically funny and charming and evil.
0: So speaking of writing, what type of, you know, for anyone that is watching this for the first time that maybe didn't get the opportunity to catch our, our first interview, what type of like writing experience uh, do you have? You know, uh, what was some of your first steps into the indie creating, you know, uh, space? You know, what uh, other comics uh, can they, they find you, uh, you know, on or worked on?
1: Right. So I originally was a fan writer because originally what happened was 2010. I'm home from college. It's There's a blizzard. I'm bored of my mind. <laughs> i have just starting to go into comics, Of have start just become a big thing before, you know, now, before I went, and, and I'm like, you know what, I want to write a Superman script. And I wrote a Superman film script, it's not very good. And then I said, I want to write a Batman fan film script. I wrote it. Again, not very good. But it got me into this kind of writing fan fiction bug. And then, then I'm like, you know what, I'm going to start writing comics, but make them like fan scripts. So doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be stuff that's going to be produced. And I'm writing them and I'm working with friends and my friends are like, you know, Daniel, you should try writing some of your own stuff. I'm hemming and hawing and I'm like, so I start writing some of my own stuff among American futures. At the time it was called Modern Colossi. You know, after the poem on the uh, Statue of Liberty. Mm-hmm. And I was working with a friend on another book, co-writing it, and we pitched it to a publisher. And while well, that publisher was at the time trying to, Get that right he's like hey daniel do you have anything else and i pulled out my philosophy he says i like it but you need to change the title and that's so how i changed it to american dreams that publisher kind of fell through so i went to another publisher that publisher recently fell through collapsed so now it's all self-published
0: wow i i mean so to have two publishers collapse like that like was it a hard like journey to be self-published like what was that journey like for you
1: well it, it was kind of like a relief after the same time it's like it's like, you know what? Now I have a little more control. Not, it's more work, but now I have a little more... I have more um, control over things. Because at the time, there was a whole debate between me and the publisher. Because it's like, it has to be four issues. Don't want to do six. Okay, we'll do five, but all future arcs have to be four. And then, as then I was getting ready to do the American Dreams one through four Kickstarter. That publisher kind of broke up. I'm like, you know what? I'll do one through five since five's pretty much already done. Mm-hmm. And that's how I did last year's uh, 2021's American Dreams 1 for 5. And that could be the first start. It was like, okay, that's done. Oh, and also another book I've done was in was Project Big Hype, Volume 1. I did a little kind of steampunk-esque adventure story.
0: That's really cool. I'm getting ready to talk to Doug tomorrow. So we're going to be talking about the Big Hype, Volume 2.
1: And I also recently did, um, with Travis Gibb, uh, Cthulhu Invades Wonderland, where I wrote the Dodo story.
0: Okay. Yeah, that is really cool. So I
1: gave him. I pitched him two stories. I pitched him the Dormouse. I pitched him the Dodo. He's like, "You gotta do the Dodo."
0: <laughs>
1: I gave him two endings. I gave him two endings. I gave him the happier ending. I gave him the horror ending, and he chose to Which... do the happier ending.
0: <laughs> so, uh, what was that horror ending like?
1: Well, without delving into things, instead of it being kind of a celebratory yet very dark ending, the Dodo gets his head eaten by something.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, how did we uh, see you transition into Night Wraith or Wrath, excuse me? Like, how, how, how did that come about? Um, and is that set before American Dreams or after?
1: After, because American Dreams is 1900. Night Wraith is modern day, still with a 90s flair. And, like, I saw Gabe Santos Escobar's art, and I'm like, you know what? I really want to do something with this guy. So, I reached out to him. And he's like, okay, hey. <laughs> like, like, I told him, I don't have a story on me. Let's think of something. And we went back and forth and He's like, I want to do something with this big guy and a kid. I'm like, so I start spinning a rough idea. He's like, yeah, let me just mock up something. And he got Night Ralf's looking like one shot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and
0: uh, he's working on the new Blade comic too, right?
1: No, Exile which is by, with, uh, what's his name? Uh, Wesley Snipes. I don't know why, I
0: call, why do call yeah. him Blade? Because
1: <laughs> he is Blade. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. instead of Blade 3, is sending stuff, Blade.
0: <laughs> it's uh, and that's why actors uh, like Robert Downey Jr. um and all of them, like they they don't want to continue those characters because like they get known as that. You know, prime example. You yeah. know, I, I was calling Robert Downey Jr. Tony Stark for years. It was so hard to break that. You know,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's like certain actors, like 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 even the you know, right characters, like Arthur Conan Doyle had to kill Sherlock Holmes because like I'm sick and tired of him. Like he, Arthur Conan Doyle is getting tired of his meal tickets. Like no, I can't do this anymore. And then all this public
0: clamor,
1: you know, made him bring Sherlock Holmes back. Mm-hmm. So uh, speaking of artists,
0: who do you have uh, doing the art for uh, American Dreams? I th- This art was gorgeous. I loved the look of the early ni- uh, early early excuse me, early, uh, New York City in the 1900s. I thought you guys really captured just the feeling of it, you know. So it, it really gave me that sense of like what it looked like during that time period. How were you guys able to capture that?
1: So Dodie, who is my pet star. I sent him a lot of reference.
0: <laughs>
1: it's great because Google's great. But he lives in Indonesia, so he doesn't always have the, you know, ground basis mm-hmm. like we in the United States would. So I sent him a lot of references. And he he actually got me one time because we had a cover early for when we were at the first publisher. And I'm like, they were in car. He drew, he drew like an early car in there. I'm like, I don't think there were cars in 1900. And then, of course, I found out later, not only were there cars in 1900, Harry Houdini owned one. <laughs> trying to apologize to and don'ate and said I'm riding a car in one of the late, in one of the next issues <laughs> it, do you need to drive
0: So uh funny story I was telling my uh, significant other about this uh the, when the first two cars were made they uh the first two cars in America ended up crashing into each other so like the first two cars ever made ended up being the first car accident together. Like how insane is that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it really is insane. And so, and like a couple of times I've had to check Doty, like one time, like in issue three, he originally drew Houdini with a microphone, like an old school 1930s, you know, round with the little X in it microphone. Mm-hmm. And like, wait a second, Doty, I need to check something because I don't, even if they had microphones back then, I don't think it would have looked like that. They did have microphones, but it was like so vestigial, like a little trapezoidal thing that probably had no sound carry. Yeah, yeah. Like they had the phonograph, but if you ever listen to an old photograph, and there are photograph recordings of like Harry Houdini, sound quality's not that great. That's all <laughs> we, on wax
0: cylinders. It, it's 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 insane to think how far we've came, like in terms of technology too. Like if you were to show like Harry Houdini a phone, that you probably would get labeled as like witchcraft or something. Like what the, the capabilities of what we're able to do with technology and stuff is just it's it's unparalleled compared to back then.
1: Yeah, there's actually a famous recording of Houdini and it's really funny because he, record- he recorded it in my neighborhood here in Brooklyn. Says, wow, Flatbush,
0: that is really cool. New-
1: Brooklyn, New York, however the date was. It was like 1920-something, I think, when he was doing that recording. It was, it was like it, So I did a double take because there was an Edison Vitagraph Studios somewhere in my neighborhood, I think further it's further south and west of me, there was a Vitagraph Studios, which I think Edison was a part owner of. Mm-hmm. And that's where he recorded it. So
0: what? Uh, would you say like the you know with you li- living in that area like was that one of the reasons and motivating factors for you to kind of write that area as well?
1: Well, I, it sounds, I don't live in that area per se because I live in Brooklyn. I don't live in Lower East Side. Oh my like, god! It's just it's like yeah, yeah. But it's like it's still like there's a lot of New York stories, but a lot of them are very not very told. And there's a lot of Jewish immigrant stories, but not really been many told in the comic book. Medium and other than like account, uh, Ben Grimm, <laughs> who is a Lower East Side guy who's Jewish.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, wh- how do who, you feel he's like Jack Kirby, who grew up in that area?
0: How do you feel? Uh, speaking of that, like uh, the Jewish representation yes. in comics, you know, not only not only like the representation of New York, but like the Jewish representation. Uh, how do you feel? Like I know we've talked in some spaces and stuff. Um, but, uh, what, like, wh- where do you think we're at in the comic world with it? And what are you doing to make it better?
1: I think there's a long, long way to go. It's really funny because think about it. Superhero comics is a Jewish-American medium. We created it. And, and but for some reason, but because of, you know, institutional anti-Semitism in, you know, various forms, we never really had openly Jewish characters until, what, 70s, 80s? At the most, they were, like Magneto, I don't think was revealed to be Jewish until about the seventies or eighties. No, and that's really awkward when that's the first yeah. openly yeah, Jewish they're, character. They're, to be to be. Um, one like, of the
0: most evil. Um,
1: yeah, and we've got more representation at least on the on the page, since, but not, not as much given you know other characters. And then in the me- in you know actual media, we're not really getting it. <laughs> like you get it, like. It's like, I watched like, um, in a very bad Fantastic Four movie from a few years ago, they have like a menorah in the Grim household. That's it. That's the mm-hmm. sole representation. And then, um, I don't, th- I don't think they made Kitty Pride openly Jewish in the X-Men films. I don't believe of. so either. Uh, one Scarlet Witch, Jewish Romani, had a whole bunch of crosses in her room in the Avengers films. Yeah, you would have. Had,
0: I would have. I, I would have never had any idea uh, that she was of Jewish descent in any of the MCU films.
1: And then, like Bat, really funny, be interesting. If you look at some of the little Easter egg photos they posted for the Batman in uh, really the lead up, if you see that image of Thomas Wayne, Martha Wayne, and Bruce in the library at Wayne Manor, if you look closely, there's a Zohar, which is Jewish mysticism, which means Batman, it's a Jew. <laughs> Reclaim him. He's on the tribe. Well, he technically, he's two in the comics because his. It, they're true because given that Batwoman to his maternal cousin, mm-hmm. she's Jewish. Um, that means Bruce's mother was Jewish, which means, based off Jewish traditional law, he's Jewish. Yeah, through yeah. the whole line. And you see it more it's a piece of it in recent years because when you, you leave Wayne Manor in recent comics, it's. Goes to say goodbye to Alfred's grave. He places a stone on it, which is a Jewish custom, to signify we'll be back to remember you.
0: You know, I I would have never guessed. I I, I so it's it's awesome to kind of have your insight on that because as someone who's not you know I I never practiced you know Jewish religion. I I, I would have never guessed. So like, you know, and I think. Yeah, it, it, I wonder how many people would lose their collective effing minds if, if Bruce Wayne, you know, and he came out openly as being Jewish. Like, I bet you would see so much filth from comics just remove themselves.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really funny because it's like he's still obviously more of his dad's religion, but he just shows little hallmarks of his mother's faith. And that's yeah, I, I think yeah. that's a nice little gesture. I like to joke that Kryptonians are space Jews because the word, the word Jor-El, L in Hebrew is a connotation meaning God. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Of course, they, Jesus, fight, Jesus fight the hell out of Superman, star of Superman, the movie back in the 70s. So it's like, no, he's Space Moses. Space <laughs> <laughs> <He's> Moses. <laughs> but because, it's really funny because Tom Mankiewicz, who I believe is Jewish, mm-hmm. rewrote the entire script after Mario Puzo's brought in this divine campy tome. And he's like, no, this has to be completely rewritten. And he's, I believe he was Jewish because the Mankiewicz family is a Jewish family. In Hollywood. And he really, Jesus, finds the fuck out of Superman. Um, but I like to say, Capillons are space Jews. And then, of course, there's the, um, knight in the room. Moon knight. If you look at, pay attention to Jewish comics Twitter. We were not fans.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, uh, I remember very distinctively remembering, uh, every, every Wednesday, uh, See, seeing uh, some posts about what Moon Knight was uh, was doing wrong, and uh, I was really interested in hearing your take on that too, because Moon Knight is supposed to be a pretty big uh, character within within uh, you know uh, within the comic world that is a representation of uh, Jewish uh, Jewish and it's, religion, it's, right?
1: He's not like the most Jewish; character. he's not a devout Jew, but his father's a rabbi. Mm-hmm. A lot of his split personality comes from STEM. He can't he couldn't deal with the fact his father was so passive in the face of anti Semitism. And then they rewrite that entirely. The only show, turning the whole thing on, turning the whole mother complex weird thing. They botch showing what a shibble looks like, His only real big Jewish moment is taking his keep on throwing to the ground. And then the so, show, show that supposedly shows had a, a Judaism con- consultant and, like, barely used Judaism.
0: So real quick, not to interrupt, but uh, the symbolism of him taking that off and throwing it to the ground—what does that mean? I guess uh, as a whole,
1: Uh, technically, it's supposed to mean like his anger at God and everything. But like in Judaism, a keep is just a prayer hat, just to cover our heads, you know, in prayer, sign of humility. It's not like a giant, you know, it's not like a whole big, you know, item. I guess like if he like like threw down like a book of the Torah. That would be more of a, even if, not just the Torah scroll, but a book, of like a bound book, a day in the Torah. That alone would have been a real big break with his religion.
0: So well, it's, it seems like the representation they tried to include wasn't even really that that, that big. It, it could have been a lot more.
1: It could have been a lot more, more. It could have been a lot well done a lot more research. It doesn't help that the director allegedly, because he never confirmed it was him on someone's Twitter, to say, wait and watch the show, you'll be pleased. and it ended up being that one little moment in time and every Jew in, in watching is like that's it.
0: <laughs> we have a Dr uh or excuse me it's D Rhino 419. Sorry I've been butchering your name this whole entire time. Uh, stopping in to say morning to all over on YouTube. Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you doing, friend? Uh so what are you doing as uh someone who is now a comic writer um to make sure you are hitting all the marks for uh, Jewish representation in comics. I'm
1: just having a major Jewish character as can start it's kind of <laughs> sad. but it's like it's like Is not many Jewish-led char- jewish led character jewish uh, comic character comics that jewish characters it's like mm-hmm. i think like the one that i'll oh, come off my head is magneto or a thing series or even marauders with kitty pride in the lead but again that's more of an ensemble it just happens to be a jewish characters leader in that thing it's really weird there's not been real or like the wicked and hulkling but again Again, it's Jewish, but it's more about his LGBT identity. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's really like I look at all these, you know, things that DC is doing. I'm like, great. Where's the Jewish animal?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or Marvel's like, because Marvel, because I think you have more Jewish characters. Where's the Marvel voices? Jews. It's Jew.
0: Yeah, because it seems like whenever they have a character who is Jewish, there there is something else that's more prominent that's being focused on.
1: Yeah. There's a great book by David Bedell, a British Jewish comedian called Jews Don't Count, which talks about um, how even in social justice circles, when there's like Jews saying we're under attack, Mm -hmm. we need help, our concerns are downplayed or otherwise ignored or belittled. And it's okay, it's part of like the 2,000 years plus of institutional anti-Semitism. So it's, it's an uphill (laughs) climb. It's really funny because like, without Jews, there would be no super comic industry because mm-hmm. we literally created from the ground up in the 30s with a bunch of Jews, some Italians, some Irish, but those mostly Jews. Taylor Schuster, Jews. Bob Kane, and um, Bill Finger, Jewish. Stan Lee, Jewish. Jack Kirby, very Jewish. <laughs> Joe Simon, Jewish.
0: <laughs> so with uh, with American Dreams uh, being kind of like your, your, your big. Your big... Segue into comics like showing the jewish representation how do we see this like within the pages you know how do we see jack gold and his story uh, start to bleed more of jewish representation into comics and in pages like his characters just as a, as a whole like what what, right. what
1: can i look at more culturally than religiously because if you guys are religiously then it's okay a little great but like so talking just even culturally it's one thing so when he's talking about his parents you're a jewish immigrant in night in the 1900s your language at home when you're not talking with your siblings Yiddish, which is, you know, German Hebrew vernacular from Western and Eastern Europe. You're going to, you know, there's a scene in issue 5 where the Shema is recited. That's the holiest prayer in Judaism. One of our choices is going to be literally him arriving late home for Shabbat, you know, the Sabbath. And, you know, he has to keep on his head. He's washing his hands and trying to get ready for, you know, Shabbat. Well, I love it. And he'll speak... In in Yiddish with you know you just cursed like Lee. That, that kinda of like thing. So it's a lot more cultural than just in your face with the with the religious aspects because remember Jews, Jews are both Jews are both a ethnicity and a and a religion. Mm-hmm. It's tied together, but you know, you can focus on both in separate ways.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So before we dive into the Kickstarter, let's get kind of a little idea of what to expect. I mean, so can you give us a little bit of a a synopsis or a concept for like, maybe uh, some of the the issues that are going to be within this uh, volume one.
1: So this is basically our origin story, as I touched on earlier. So basically it's taking his powers, meeting up with some really famous figures and infamous figures in history, which we may push him or guide him along the way or figure out to oppose him. There is a giant bigot in all senses of the terms waiting in the wings to do a, to do a giant brawl downtown. Um, expect um, discussions of anti-Semitism throughout history in small ways. There's a flashback to a pogrom in Russia where Jake's from. You'll also expect a new prologue about which has Jake his family arriving in New York waiting he's a child on his birthday, July 4th. <laughs> and... Um, Two new shorts. Uh, one is with art by Kurt Belcher, which looks more into Jake's past and his uh, upbringing more as a kind of down and out little smart-ass street punk. hmm And the second short with art by David Jackson is a, it's just a little fun adventure story involving the building of the early subway system in New York. Ooh. Because the subway wasn't even... was being built at the time. It wasn't even really in action to like later on that decade.
0: You know, it's crazy to think about too like how how far we've advanced and, and how little of time. Like when you when you go to think back, you know, 100 200 years ago, like the things that weren't around that are readily available now.
1: Yeah, it's really funny because you think about it, uh, the New York City subway system still uses tech from the same from that same time period. And it's like the other reason it's taking so hard to advance things is because they have to replace all this 19th century early 20th century tech while running a train system that's 24
0: hours a day. I was listening to this really interesting thing on YouTube earlier uh, where Japan, they were redesigning their subway system and they use this fungus. So there's this fungus that is, uh, it it has its own like level of intelligence. And like you put like this like sugar substance down and it will map it's the best way. So what they did was they put this like, they mapped out the, the Japan like subway system and let this fungus like redesign the past in the most efficient way possible. Nice. It's mind blowing. It is mind blowing.
1: Yeah, I think our thing is it has to be more the um, what's it called the uh, signals,
0: mm-hmm.
1: signals and the switches. Because a lot of them are still using 20th century analog tech. They're doing it slowly. They're putting on the digital switches, but they have to you know shut down parts of the line, and it's a whole thing. They have to do it like nights and weekends.
0: Oh yeah, because you, I mean, you would essentially be holding up the entire city, shutting down uh, parts of the tunnel.
1: Right, and, and I wanted to bring this up because I talked, was telling you about this uh, while we were waiting to get the show going. Um, so, New York Comic Con, tw- 2018, 2019, I think. I forget which year. I think it was 2018 or 20, one of those years. Mm-hmm. So, I'm getting ready to go. I have a whole bunch of stuff I'm taking with me, including a suitcase of books. I'm not even a pro badge, point, I just have a fan
0: badge.
1: <laughs> it's, it's a Saturday morning. At 6.30, I got on the train, and then I go, last time on this train is Prospect Park, please switch to the shuttle train or take the shuttle bus to Atlantic Avenue. I'm like, ugh. And you have to realize, Prospect Park to DeKalb Avenue on the QB line is basically a bottleneck. Because there's no way they can switch to another line Mm -hmm. between Prospect Park and DeKalb. So... (laughs) That was an issue. So my first day, I went on the shuttle tr- shuttle train, which is a normal, normally running train, to another stop, and then switching to another train to go to Times Square. And then, unbeknownst to me, I found out: oh, the seven train, which is the train that takes you right to the drive Center, <laughs> It shut down for the convention weekend. No. <laughs> Worst timing ever. <laughs> for yeah, yeah. Who this- cares? yeah like, it's just like and this is like a, a weekend where we're trying to do this whole or this doing this whole promo of a comic book culture weekend mm-hmm. and two of their major lines to clean the line i guess you right to the javits center is down
0: and so it probably made your journey like five times as long then
1: and remember i have a huge suitcase full of books i'm hauling yeah. this up and down stairs
0: you probably look at like Night Wrath afterwards, like all swollen and
1: everything. <laughs> yeah, I also me like chiropractor right after I'm like, okay.
0: <laughs> so real quick, let's go ahead. Uh, let's pull up the Kickstarter for American Dreams Volume 1. Let's cut, dive into some of the rewards and what to expect. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, this sounds like Jake Gold. This is awesome. So 72% of goal. Congratulations. Once again, let's start taking a look at the campaign. So Right here, American Dreams collected for the first time over the last five years or so. Readers have read the beginning journey of one Jake Gold, a Jewish immigrant in 1900s in New York City, who gains power from a Thomas Edison experiment gone awry. So these are the first five issues um, covering his origin story. Plus, there's a little bit extra in there as well. Uh, you said some extra shorts?
1: Yeah, two two shorts and a new prologue. So uh, his
0: early adventures are going to be collected in a handy-dandy trade collection in both soft cover and hardcover. But it's more than just issues one through five. Here are some of the testimonials. Um, do, you want, uh, do you want me to read? Oh, which one uh, would you say is one of your you, favorites? You
1: can just choose, choose, choose a couple from random.
0: All right. So Daniel uh, Daniel Colban gives you a touch of what makes America great with real life historical figures and a new superhero that is designed to be classic and modern. From uh, Travis Gibb. We have fantastic superhero or Superman meets Assassin Creed in this industrial age superhero story from Comics uh, Exalted. And American Dreams is a reinvigorated approach to a classic pillar of the comics medium. At its core is the idea that so many of the best superhero stories strive for—the hope that hope exists in all of us. So long, we're willing to fight for it. From Jared, uh, from Dryfoot, Twin Blaze, and Crash and Troy. So here is a look at some of the preview pages, and as you guys can, as you can see, I think it really nailed the look of like I old school that, New York.
1: I love that the colors that Warny, our colors, chose for this. For this opening splash.
0: in the way like the laundry is hanging from window to window. I I, I just love like the look of, of this area. This was just phenomenal.
1: Yeah I actually had to figure out start to figure out oh where exactly is this in the Lower East Side. And I decided that the uh, tenement Jake lives in is the exact location of what's currently the tenement museum mm-hmm. in the Lower East Side. It's I think Orchard Street. The family. So you can see they're speaking you see the little there's a little asterisk next to their, what they're saying, you know, down the bottom of the page, it says, translate yeah, from Yiddish. Yeah,
0: translate from Yiddish. So, uh, we see uh, some interaction between, uh, uh, you said uh, this was uh, the family?
1: Yeah, the grandfather, the father, you can see uh, Eli, who is Jake's mm-hmm. brother, you can see his mom.
0: And then the home of J.P. Morgan as well, beautiful, gorgeous.
1: And that is, actually, I actually had to pull up a photo for, um, Doty, the penciler, because originally he sent me a picture of his, this famous bank building, and I was dreaming more like, no, oh, Dodie, that's not his mansion. His real mansion was his <laughs> library. Itself. It's really funny because his mansion and his classic library mm-hmm. are a museum on uh, Madison Avenue around 37th, 38th Street. And it's this giant complex, but it's a great museum.
0: That's so cool. So, this is what it actually looks like?
1: Yeah, it looks actually. looks that like that's there's, cool. a, there's a modern addition between the house and the library, but obviously that's not depicted. Mm
0: hmm. When we get a, a look at uh, Central Park. So there's a big fight going down. This kind of gave me. Uh, have you ever seen Gangs in New York? Yep. So it kind of gave me.
1: I also read the original original nonfiction book that the movie's based on.
0: You know, I need to check that out. I definitely do. I didn't even know it's there was a, saying, book a, a book out.
1: The book was written like the 1920s, but it's a good great record of the, the of the 19 of the 19th century uh, criminals and mm-hmm. and hoodlums and Tammany Hall and. So, did okay. you draw any
0: influence from that as well, or
1: probably a little bit? Because there's a scene in Five Points in issue two.
0: Ooh, let's go. And the five let's Points go. was
1: still an infamous slum at the time. Now, in our, <laughs> in our story, it's still a slum. In real history, at the time, it was being cleared out, so they would build all the courthouses. Mm-hmm. It's like because I work for a law firm, so when I go to the courthouse for to draw stuff off, it's basically in the Five Points. Where I got gotcha. you.
0: And we get uh, a little bit outside of the home of Harry Houdini, the private study at J.P. Morgan, and then Emma Goldman's uh, tenement apartment as well. So a little little look at here, and then Washington Square Park. So you said uh, Edison's experiment uh, affected a couple people. We see Jake Gold uh, getting hit with it right here, but you said that there were some other people who got affected by it.
1: Yes, at least one person you'll see in issue one in this gang finally got affected by it. There's going to be another. Bolt of lightning affecting another person later on and you'll be a couple others in arc two and uh there's it's slowly building up that it'll be more and more effective throughout these uh story arcs
0: okay and that's i mean that's all you're gonna get guys so if, you, if you're if you interested you're gonna have to back this we put the link in the uh comments so be sure to check this out with us and uh be sure to back this is such an awesome collection uh you're getting one through five plus some extra uh here's a look at the creative team and then we're gonna go through the the tiers as well we have the man of the hour, uh, the writer, and the creator.
1: Standing in in uh, Grand Central Station, subway station.
0: <laughs> so uh, do you want to give us a little bit about yourself from this uh, paragraph?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm the creator. I went to Damon College up in the Buffalo area, Amherst. Um, my really got started with my dad's collection of Silver Age comics that I got from him. They were not in good condition, when I got them. They're in terrible condition now. <laughs> I work for a law firm but I'm not working on my comics. Um didn't recently. And you can usually see me running around New York City grumbling about how the Mets are doing. So, is uh,
0: has your father got a chance to read your books? What's he think?
1: He loves them. Like he's, oh, that's he's, so a, awesome. he's always a day one backer. He's always a day one backer. I'll, sometimes so I'll cool. show the scripts first. And there's Dodie, who's our penciler.
0: Yeah, he loves also uh, for
1: Advent Comics. Uh, Tebby who's our Inker. Warnia, who's our wonderful colorist. Netho, who did our main cover for issue one, as well as uh, being our variant cover artist. He's always been, he used to do variant covers for me for various projects.
0: Oh, that's awesome. That's cool that he's a reoccurring uh, person for you like that.
1: Yeah. Uh, Tommy did uh, the colors for most of the covers and most of the inks. My buddy, Tim Brown, had to step in to do the colors for, for issue four cover A. Because I think Tommy was doing something else. So we had to get, get my buddy Tim to step in to do a quick color job. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: And, and, we have, and uh... Tim's
1: actually doing Tim's actually full colors for me on another project.
0: Oh, so there's another project in the works too.
1: Yes, yeah, called Grease to Visit Aliens, which is a 1950s set sci-fi adventure story.
0: I love it. Oh, man, you always do the coolest concepts.
1: And it's set in my dad's hometown of Freeport. So it's going
0: to be fun. <laughs> so it looks like we have Matt Bowers as your letterer as well. Yeah. Yeah. So was he the letterer for issues one through five? Yes, he was. Cool. Uh, and then uh, I'm actually so, uh, I'm actually getting ready to interview uh her. I want to say when is it uh, for Beautiful Soldiers? I want to say that's probably right when it's getting ready to drop. I think in the next month or so.
1: Yeah. She's making she ready for that. She's like, she and Andrea who's our, who helped her out with that too. So I like I was like, yeah, here's my here's some stuff. I'm like, yeah, we'll get back to you. We're a little busy at the moment.
0: <laughs> That's so cool. You have some really prolific names on this project project. Yeah. I love it, I love it.
1: And um I don't have their photo on here, but um also talking about our, our our additional artists like uh Kurt Belcher, who is our pencil anchor on the short The Art of Throwing a Punch. Jackson doing the entire art for the Sandhog, T- 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 Diaz Diaz, Netho's significant other, who's doing, who does the colors on mm-hmm. um, on uh, the art of throwing a punch, which is a nice sippy toned little flashback story. And we and we got Scott McDaniel to do the hardcover cover.
0: That's cool. That's awesome.
1: And Laurie Foster from Lucky Hero Studios inked it and Tommy colored it. And my buddy Andy and Corey's helping just combine everything together.
0: Alright, so here are the rewards, and then uh, are these going to be the same rewards as uh, the tiers on the the right side?
1: Yeah, we'd have two okay. early birds which are no longer on, because, you know, early bird period is fast.
0: So it looks or, like you can get the American Dream sampler for uh, five bucks, that's going to be the uh, PDF? Of issue one, yeah. Issue one. Uh, the American Dream sampler, which is going to be, get a copy of the comic that started also a physical of issue one. Yeah. Uh, then you can get the American Dream Volume 1 Digital for twenty bucks. Right. Uh, the early bird is no longer available, but you can get the soft cover for 35 So that that's a pretty outstanding price, I think. For 15 bucks more, you can actually get the physical. How many pages is this going to be?
1: I'm trying to do in the math in my head because it's at least 110 issues, 110 story pages, mm-hmm. plus at least another 16 of additional story content, plus cover gallery and whatever. Wow, fun
0: stuff yeah, so that, that that's what, 120, 126?
1: 140?
0: 140 my math's way off <laughs> uh,
1: I'm trying to count the cover gallery So I'm trying to do the rough math in my head Because who knows what else we're going to be putting in At the end of the day
0: So you can get the American Dream Volume 1 hardcover For 55 So what's this hardcover going to be like What type of material will will it be constructed of
1: I have to talk to my production, the printer for that. I was going with one printer but I eh, am something I was a little fishy with my friend's books. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go for my printer. But they outsource the hardcover mm-hmm. part, but they're still going to put together the pages together. So it's probably nice, you know, hard, durable. Got friends who print for them and their hardcovers are great. So
0: Gotcha. But- and then we have the American Dream Volume 1 Retailer uh, tier. So you'll get four copies of the softcover and a copy of the hardcover for 120 that is like such an outstanding price too, because as you can see, the American Dreams Volume One hardcover is fifty-five. So two of those is going to be one hundred and ten. So I mean, you're, you're getting like a really outstanding bundle price right here.
1: Yeah, and that one and that retail tier does get free shipping.
0: Cool. Oh, that's even better. And speaking of shipping, so it looks like for single issues, shipping is five bucks to the U.S. Uh, United States of America. 15 to canada and 25 for the rest of the world
1: that's for the sample for the actual books it's a little more expensive because you know customs weight things like that
0: but it's only five bucks more so that's not even too bad it seems like either and then here are some of your stretch goals as well so 6500 you'll get the indie comics bundle 75 you're gonna get the script pdfs for issue one through five then 8500 creator commentary for issues one through five so is this going to be like a youtube video
1: i was thinking more like a pdf document i'm thinking of calling it like the uh Orchard Street Missionary, uh, Orchard Street Talmud, can you hear that uh, Judaica feel?
0: Okay. And then we're uh, the going? And of course, the why. Yeah, the why, the why. So uh, go ahead, give us your why.
1: Guys, it's been a great journey, but basically we need Kickstarter to fund the books, print everything, get everything out. Get all the materials for shipping, because that's also expensive, because Gemini mm-hmm. mailers are not cheap. Um, <laughs> They're the but, best
0: of the best, though, really.
1: But this, but this helps, helps brings things back to life, also, puts a little extra, also helps us recoup some of our funds from past, you know, various things. So it helps. Every little bit helps.
0: And then risk and challenges, of course, you know, anything, you can't control uh, pandemics, you can't control printing sor- shortages, so that stuff is kind of out of your hands
1: yeah like and so I had to I had to um, just like I when I was printing um, what is it uh, Mer- a a night raft and they're like there might be a delay because we have to make sure there's all the paper papers in stock thankfully the paper they had wasn't stock they said be aware there might be a delay because we have to make sure we have enough stuff mm-hmm. to turn around
0: so uh did we cover your uh, kickstarter uh, in, in its full was there anything else that you wanted to cover or did we hit everything
1: i think we basically hit everything
0: <laughs> perfect perfect so let's go ahead and re- let's remove this i always like doing this one part two. so for anyone that's watching and that's on the fence about backing uh, american dreams volume one what would you like to say to them directly to kind of help push them over that bump
1: It's a great superhero adventure set at a time period that's not really covered in superior comics it's also if you love diversity in comics like the actual idea of actually having diversity in comics, it's giving Jews more of a representation in comics that we don't seem to always get Mm -hmm. because even if, because Jewish characters tend to have a extra thing, no pun intended, um, that have comes to the fore more than their Jewishness. So that's, so this for our characters, very much, you know, the man I think most about Jew, he is very much culturally, ethnically, and probably a Jew.
0: No, that is so awesome, and uh, I, I'm excited too. Uh, I've been I've been so pumped for this. I can't wait to, to check it out in its glory all, all together uh, with two new shorts. Daniel, this has been such an awesome time. I appreciate you coming on once again. Uh, the second time we've had you on the show in almost 80 episodes. Uh, and it, it was nice to catch up and, and, and kind of just break things down. Before we go, though, uh, you know the drill. We did this last time, so we're you know we got to do we got to spice it up a, a little bit different this time. So for anyone that's new and that's watching um, as an indie creator themselves, and let's say for the sake of running a Kickstarter, their first time running a Kickstarter, what would you say the most important part of creating a Kickstarter for the first time would be?
1: Mm, that's a tough one. <laughs> I think, <laughs> but a couple of things. If you know someone who can help you and they're good at it, and they've done great kickstars. talk to them. I, I consult with Kat Kalamia Kamakuno, who, who is a, with a Kickstarter, so she's been really helpful with that. Also, just reach out to people who've done successful, like, studying successful Kickstarters, and reach out to those who run them. Still pick their brains a bit. You know, ask them for information. But no. don't actually pick their brains. That's Yeah, disgusting. yeah, yeah
0: i i i think uh that's a big thing people you know they're they're nervous about doing reaching out um and, and asking because nine times out of ten people want to help you people you know but closed mouths don't get fed you know they 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 can't tell that you need the help unless you uh you ask we have uh, Jay michael miller uh stopping and saying that first page with some uh star eyes uh yeah these covers look gorgeous too I, i'm so excited daniel once again thank you for stopping by breaking down american dreams volume one and everything in between Cannot wait to see this funded. For anyone that's been watching to this point, here is the link to the Kickstarter. Once again, be sure to get in there. And you heard it from Daniel Backett. uh, You are supporting Jewish representation in comics, and this comic is doing it justice. You know, so I'm excited, Daniel. Thank you once again for stopping by. For everyone that is watching, we are going to be doing another interview later on tonight with Melissa Flores. We're going to be breaking down the Dead Lucky. That is going to be at 12 a.m. at night. So as soon as I get off work, we're going to be stopping into it. Uh, Two interviews, one Cody, you know the drill. Uh, But yeah, with that being said, have a beautiful, beautiful Saturday. But most importantly, guys, keep it geekly.